0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jennifer Chapman, and we're going to talk about how she helps create ambitious leaders. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you are ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice through podcasting, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do just that and create the tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, I am so excited about this because you obviously have an amazing amount of experience. And we have a little bit, I want to tell the audience before we get started, attached to the conversation as a whole, where you are obviously a coach and you are helping people find their ambition, create ambition, but overall, you used to be a workaholic Known as the go-to person for getting things done and managing the most difficult customers or clients, you thrived on challenging situations and proving to others that you were invincible. Your mental and physical health began to take a hit, though, and your journey began to create a work and personal life that aligned with what you valued and wanted most. You're more successful now in terms of happiness, financial security, and your ability to help others. And I love that because filling your coffer before you are able to give to others is a huge piece of what we talked about this show. And it has turned you into being an expert leadership coach that works with clients to be more confident, more authentic, and more successful. You especially enjoy helping leaders who have been promoted through functional expertise and let them embrace their roles as people managers. I cannot wait to break that apart overall. And before we do that, I really want to know, what's a fun fact that we might not know after that? Well,
1: I hate New Year's resolutions, and one year I was telling a friend about it, and I said, you know, I just need to set something that I could just really get excited about. So I decided to set a goal to try all of the cheesecake flavors at the Cheesecake Factory. Took me two and a half years, but I did it.
0: Now, were they updating the flavors as you did this or...
1: They stayed pretty static then. They do rotate. They make a couple changes each year, but that great question. I was able to stay on top of it and I had a lot of friends help me. So I was trying like bites of some of them without (laughs) eating the whole piece.
0: That's what would get me in trouble. I don't share dessert. I'm not a fan of sharing What was your favorite? Did you come up with one that was just like the best of the best?
1: Yeah, my favorite was a Boston cream pie one that sadly they took off the menu. And then it was a Nutella one that they took off the menu. So my current favorite right now is a lemon raspberry cheesecake that even when you think you're too full for one more bite, you can always have room for that
0: one. And that's where we stop the recording and stop this podcast because we're going to Cheesecake Factor. I love it. That sounds delicious. Got my sweet tooth thinking now. No, I love that. That's fun. And I know a lot of that and a lot of what you talk about is work life balance and how do you really deal with different aspects and find joys in life beyond that. I really want to start off because I know a big piece of what you like to talk about in creating this work life balance is managing a boss that might not be the best boss, right? Leaders sometimes are the first followers. An old Dale Carnegie-ism is that the first, the best leaders are sometimes the first follower. And Knowing how to follow a boss that isn't the best is a difficult thing that a lot of us do. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you help people manage their boss?
1: Yes. So one reason why, first of all, I'm so passionate about it is a lot of times... I've seen even my own experience and working with others that people feel really disempowered when they have a boss that they don't like working with and sometimes we feel stagnant and that we just are powerless to change our situation and I want all everybody listening to know to feel empowered you there's so much you can do and you might say well why should I isn't that my boss's job you can think that and then still be sad about your situation, or you can turn it around and say, I want to do something about it. And I love helping my clients have more of what they want. I find the number one thing to get you on the same page as your boss is to figure out what is their passion, what motivates them, what is it that they want to accomplish while they're in their role And if you can find that out and then support them in getting that goal accomplished, it just will open so many other doors in that relationship. So the first thing I would recommend is just find out what makes them tick, what gets them up in the morning, and then connect that to something that you can relate to so you can really get on board with that vision.
0: And what's interesting is that's a leadership and management tactic that is really about retention of employees as well, where I hear that a lot going down the chain. But you're saying implementing that going up the chain of command is also an effective tactic. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And the more that you support the mission of the organization and then the values and the mission of the people that are above you, you will make yourself indispensable, because they'll see you as a, wow, this person is ready to just roll up their sleeves and get to work and champion all these things that we're trying to accomplish.
0: I love that because that's a difficult thing sometimes to have the wherewithal or the capability to, like you said at the beginning, shouldn't that be my boss's job to figure out what motivates me? But what a lot of people don't recognize is for you to be happy there, you have to be able to understand the environment you're in and finesse it into something that you enjoy as well. Other than, otherwise, I imagine the first thing they face is that burnout, right? Is that what you're seeing is people that don't, see, don't do that? They get burned out really quick and start hating their job?
1: Yes, they get burned out. They feel unappreciated or the work that I'm doing doesn't make a difference. And sometimes I know there are a lot of bosses that are well-meaning but just haven't been trained on good leadership skills or just are way in over their heads, maybe doing two or more jobs as you know, different positions open up. And when they're in that, I gotta just get all this stuff done mode, they forget about those relationships and the people side. And so the, if the more you can strategize of how do I help lighten the load of my boss, they're gonna be so grateful. And you're going to feel like, okay, the work I'm doing is worth something.
0: And I think it kind of relates back to you released an article a while back about putting a new frame. It's about several different things, but surviving 2021 and the struggles of COVID. You talk about putting a new frame, quote unquote, a framing on some everyday activities. And this is kind of feeding off of that to me, where in this article, you talk about a tip about walking your pup, Brutus, and different aspects of like how you can break away and wants to smell everything. And it has a different aspect of almost like stop and smell the roses. It's kind of what I got from that piece of it, right? Where you're reframing some things that could be tedious and just changing your mindset and perspective on how you interact in those activities. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. I have a client I'm working with right now who has a really challenging situation with her boss. And when I say really challenging, it's someone who does not have similar values and who just isn't authentic, says one thing, does another, that kind of thing. And she's been really frustrated. And she goes back and forth on, do I want to stay in this position? Do I want to leave? And how does that fit into my master plan of what I want? And I, one thing I've done to help her reframe is to look at her current position as a fellowship. And I I said, we're going to call this your two-year fellowship in working with difficult people. And she laughed and she's like, I love it. Because then when you think about it as... I'm gonna learn everything I can about working with a difficult person. She's like, I'm gonna be expert at this by the time I'm ready to move on to my next position, wherever that might be. So you're always having opportunities to learn instead of just suffering through it. Think about, okay, what's this a fellowship in? And it makes it reminds you that it's an education. Everything is an education, and it's just gonna give you that much more that you can work with in your career going forward.
0: I love that aspect of things because it turns into so many people, again, we talked about it, don't have that balance attached to things. And they really have to understand how that works. And in the entrepreneurship space, as people become, and I've seen this in the transition, I'd love to hear your your opinion on this as they transition out of the corporate world or like my background out of the military world into entrepreneurship, they were leaders, And now they're like self-leading and discipline is a huge piece of that where you have to be, you could sleep until noon all day, but you're not going to necessarily see the same level of success. Can you talk to us a little bit about that transition into entrepreneurship and how those same tactics can apply really easily?
1: Yes. I'm just laughing because as you read in my bio that I was a workaholic for many, many years and I had Last spin at a Fortune 500 firm, and I was in consulting. I was working all the time, and there were a number of things that led to me quitting when I did. And entrepreneurship had always been on my radar. I had a vision, maybe it happening a little bit. I was going to stay at my company two years more, and then some stuff happened. And I'm like, all right, I'm I'm done. And what was funny was I, when I jumped ship, all of a sudden <laughs> you don't have a paycheck. And, and as much as I thought I was prepared, cause I had a great network and I, you know, I had my website and I was all ready to go. And you're like, what do I work on? Where do I start? And so I started doing just any kind of work I could get. And I was networking like crazy and I was working, you know, 12, 14, 16 hour days, I was working weekends, I was working holidays. I had a brother who said, I thought you wanted to create a company that had good work life balance. (laughs) And he said, is this what you expect from your employees? And that stopped me in my tracks because I thought, no, absolutely not. And it was really hard for me to create some boundaries but I knew I had to. And you know that first year and a half was really rough, but it took me about that long to then give myself permission to have consistent work hours. I didn't get up super early and I didn't stay up really late. And I made sure I was spending time with family and friends and having a dog saved me. Thank goodness they have to go out as much as (laughs) they do. And I'd say it's just a really, you have to be conscious. You have to be intentional because if you just think it's going to happen, if anything, you're going to be worse off in an entrepreneur role than you are in the corporate role.
0: And it, it always makes me laugh because people see our glitz and glamour world of like, you make your own schedule, you make all this money, you own a business, you've got to be successful. False, 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 false. It's it funny. I make my own schedule to an extent, but It's like everybody always has somebody to answer to. And even if you're your own boss, you still have to answer to clients. You still have to answer to the phone ringing. There's so many different aspects of that. Has there been something here recently that you've seen as a growth point that you're working through or you're possibly still working through in business ownership?
1: Where I'm at right now is with scaling. And actually, it's a common problem for leaders in organizations as well of having more work than I can do myself, but not quite enough to like hire a full-time person. So then do you use contractors, but then are they going to be loyal and work as hard? And and just really being mindful of what is the work I can delegate? What work should I delegate, but maybe I don't want to And I've been finding I have trust issues. And sometimes I go into this mode of, well, if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself and that's not going to get me anywhere, is it? So I'm having to just really learn how to trust and rely on other people to get things done and even give up, for example, some of my coaching work that I, oh yeah, I'd love to take that client, but I already have too many clients. I need to just be like, well, this person's great and another one of my coaches is going to do awesome working with that person.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting balance as you scale and as you grow and you try to do more while maintaining less. It's such a, like at that tipping point, right? It's such a difficult part to like get past that past that hurdle. When you started this journey, and especially in the corporate world, is there a resource that you found was super helpful for you? Was it a book, a podcast, a mentor? What was it that helped, like, as the catalyst of this mindset shift away from let me go do all this overworking to I need to be in balance and in passion and working through what I want to work through?
1: I am an extrovert. I get energy being around people. So more as while well, I did do some trainings and listening to, I guess it was, I'm old. It's before podcasts were really, <laughs> I just looked for people that could support me who'd already done what I was trying to do. So I have one mentor that has, I've been talking to and working with for since before I went out on my own, who's been an amazing guiding star for me, especially in maintaining that balance. And then I also joined a group of entrepreneurs and that was awesome because what happens when you start your own business and things don't go very well, or you're lying awake at night, not knowing how you're going to pay next month's rent It's really easy for family and friends and people who usually are your cheering squad say, well, you pick this for yourself. You you know, well, how can you complain about not having rent money when you decided to do this? And that's not helpful. (laughs) That's not helpful at all. And so when I got to be in this group of seven or eight other entrepreneurs who, when I could say, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month. Should I take on this other work that I hate or do I need to keep pursuing the work I love? Who got it? Like who could totally relate to what it was like to be in my shoes? So for me, it was just all about finding people who either could relate to my current situation and were in the same boat as me and then finding some people who had moved past it, who could share with me their wisdom of how they did it that might be helpful for me.
0: I think that's so big. Surround yourself. Jim Rohn, you know, you're the five people you surround yourself with the most. When you start surrounding yourself, the proximity of something like that, where either being fellow entrepreneurs, mentors, business coaches, whatever that may be, you know, I think that's so key. And has, was there something in particular that was like a shift for you? where you, something clicked? Was there like a, a nugget, a piece of advice One recommendation where all of a sudden it clicked and you're like, ah, that's the thing and it shifted for you?
1: You know, for me, it wasn't a moment in time as much as it was a collection of experiences. And one thing, and I'm sure you've gone through experiences like this too, Zach, it's really funny when you're talking with a client and you're sharing some perspectives of how they might look at it differently. And then you're like, stop and think why am I not listening to myself? <laughs> and you know, it's so much easier to see it in other people and to have that chance to often be reflecting back. And I found I tend to attract clients who are a lot like me. I work with the type A, I work with the superheroes who feel like they always have to swoop in and save the day and end up taking on a whole lot more responsibility of other people than they should. And so it's just that whole law of attraction thing. And as I've helped coach them to sanity and to having the job they really want and love, it's helped me then reflect and be wanting to take action because I want to practice what I preach. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I've just loved being on a journey with my clients.
0: I like how you frame that, the journey with your clients, because I think a lot of times business coaches forget that piece of it. And I think there's a little bit of conflict in our world and we do business coaching in different, completely different realms, but we're still at the end of the day, lumped in with all these business coaches Is there a way, you talk about you attract the people that are similar to you, that work with you. Is there a way for somebody out there listening to identify what would make a good coach for them or how, that person? What would you say, hey, this is what you should ask your next coach? So
1: the number one thing I would recommend when looking for a coach is you want somebody that you feel like is really listening to you. Some coaches want to just, Say what they want to say, <laughs> and they and some even just keep saying the same thing to every client. They treat every client the same. So you want someone who's going to listen and and not thinking about what they're going to say next while they're talking to you, and then you want somebody that you really feel like you can just be yourself, warts and all. I for me, I spend. A lot of time laughing <laughs> with my clients. My husband works from home a couple of days a week. And I had a client meeting yesterday and he was like, wow, you guys were having a good time. And you know, it's because we've developed that relationship where we can joke, we can laugh at our own mistakes, and then okay, how could how can we learn from these things? How can we move forward? So and then also I will I'd like to add, there are a lot of people who just say, I'm a coach without having necessarily learned how to be a coach. So there are people who are great advisors, great mentors, great consultants, great trainers. That is not coaching. And if you really want to work with a true coach, watch those credentials and find somebody who's gone through a coaching program so they can be asking those powerful questions, reflecting back what they hear and one thing that's important to me as a coach is if I'm direct, and that's one reason why I like working with the science or research industries, the data focused people. The my husband is an engineer, and he's like, "Hey, I tell it that like it is," and I mirror that back to my clients. I will tell you what you don't want to hear and how I'm experiencing you. Because otherwise, if you're just surrounding yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear, then you're not going to make any real change or progress.
0: And that's kind of a scary thing that I think a lot of people fall in the trap of, right? We all love getting validation. We all love hearing, yeah, you're doing great. You're awesome. You're amazing because it feels good. But the reality of the situation is that isn't necessarily always the truth. So surrounding yourself, going back to what you said earlier, surrounding yourself with those people where you can learn and grow. Is there a way to pick through, hey, these people aren't being, I wouldn't say honest, maybe they're just fluffing it too much, but is there a way to identify a yes person, a yes man, a yes woman attached to their not being real? Or how would you recommend surrounding yourself with the people that are going to keep it real with you and tell you, hey, this is what's Good about what you're doing, and here's what's bad about what you're doing.
1: I highly recommend having a what coaches call a chemistry call before you sign anything in a coaching relationship or an engagement. And this is true whether your corporation or organizations paying for it or yourself paying. And if the coach is not willing to give you 15 to 20 minutes of their time for free, move on. And for me, it's a best practice. And in fact, you know, on my website, the, one of the first thing you see is schedule a free consultation, because I know this is a very vulnerable thing to do. And I know it's like a high value, high value item that you're know, trusting your clients and coach, you know, the, that whole relationship. So when you're talking to a prospective coach, have some tough questions for them, ask them some questions about what's the, what's one thing you've learned about yourself that you've, Worked on changing in the last year. See if they're, how are they continuing to learn and grow? I would ask them how do they give feedback? What do they wait for clients to ask for feedback or do they proactively give it? I would also, just depending on your personality, some people really need and want a very supportive coach. And there, So there are some some coaches who are let, much more nurturing and gentle and maybe aren't going to be as direct, but they're going to give you discovery assignments where you can build your own self-awareness. And that's really powerful And it takes a little bit longer, but that's the best for some people versus I would say I'm more on the challenging end of a coach and where I am going to say, hey, did you notice that when you talk, you end your sentences with a question? And maybe that's why people aren't taking what you say in leadership meetings as seriously because you don't sound like you know what you're saying is valid. You know, I'll tell you that, and and that doesn't work for some people. So, you know, back to your question about how can you tell? I think you just trust that your gut as you ask questions and have a conversation with the coach. And one of the most effective things you can do with that fifteen or twenty minutes is pick something small and see if you can have the coach actually coach you about that thing. And you know, pick something like I have to send an email to a colleague who didn't hold up their end of the project by the time I needed it, can you coach me around how I could respond? And then when they're actually, you know, in that coaching mode, that'll tell you a lot about what that relationship might look like.
0: Yeah, that's that's impactful right there. And I wish people would understand what you just said because a big piece of what you just said is that you have to ask, you have to know the questions to ask, right? And asking that piece of it where it can be a hard question, but a good coach is going to give you the time and they're going to give you that much, maybe like free value, quote unquote, right? Like, I hate to say free value, but realistically as a coach, that's something I've done a whole mind mapping session with a client before, just because they're like, I don't know what you'd really help us with, but we know we need help. And then we do a mind mapping session. And I'm like, I can help here, here and here. And that put into perspective of like, all right, obviously he can talk to us and communicate with us in a way that matters, but also there are weak points and that could be the struggle point. Right. So I love that you highlighted that because that's really key and impactful and I'd be really curious. A big piece that I hear from clients often is imposter syndrome. They talk about, you know, hey, I, I'm doing this or I've had a couple of successes, but financially it's not there or there's some limiter there and they start second guessing their their process and their conviction. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you help people overcome imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah, I worked with a client a couple of years ago who had been promoted from from within a group of peers, and some of you listening might have had that happen and you know you sometimes have people who are bitter because they weren't selected and they're everywhere from just checked out to passive aggressive to openly aggressive on um, trying to demean your you and your position. And that was the case of this one particular person I worked with. And she came to me and she said, you know, I wasn't quite sure if I even wanted this leadership position, I was encouraged to apply for it and got it. And now I've got this guy who I used to have a good working relationship with, who's just being a jerk and really trying to take her down in public settings to get back at her. And as we talked, it was interesting because I quickly saw the issue wasn't this guy. It was just so much easier for her to point to, I've got this problem employee. When in reality, if she had the confidence that she needed, whatever that dude said wasn't going to matter. And it was hard for her to hear that at first. So it was like imposter syndrome that she didn't even realize she had. And once we started getting a good look at where, what were those areas where she was feeling insecure. Then we did some exercises to build up her confidence. So one of my favorite exercises to do with clients who are having that imposter syndrome is to make a list of the accomplishments that you've done in your life that you're the most proud of. And I find Like 99% of the time, when people take time to do that in a meaningful way and then look back over the list, they feel like a rock star. And when I say make a list of things you're proud of, that could be I you know, was very sick and I still held on to my relationships and my hope and my faith and I made it through. Or, you know, some people it's going through family challenges or a a nasty divorce. It might be you got laid off and you were able to get back on your feet and find another job. It, and then at the other end of that spectrum, it's making that presentation where you knew you were in your zone and people were buying into your idea and you felt like a million bucks. And whatever these things might be, I ran a 10K, which... My husband, if you were in the room, would be laughing because I don't run 10Ks. But to those of you who do, good job. And whatever your successes look like all across your life, when you write them down and then you look over them, it really enforces that, hey, I can do hard things. I have done hard things my whole life and I've succeeded. Why can't I succeed now? And once I did that with my client, She's like, I am ready for this position. I can do this. And I don't need to listen to this guy who clearly has his own issues. And that's another thing, just helping her see what is hers to own? What is his to own? And she was taking on a whole lot that wasn't hers. And as she changed her mindset and her behavior, it only took like three or four weeks. And she had like this guy was a totally different guy to her. And he started, it wasn't like they were like best buds, but he respected her. She gave him assignments, he did them. He wasn't snarky in meetings. You know, he realized that he, she was like unshakable, really. So that that's something I encourage people to do. You can do this. You've done hard things. Just remind yourself of how you've done it in the past.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredibly powerful. And I love how you frame that for us and all the work you're doing, everything that you're putting out there, everything you're doing with ambition leadership, what is the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with all the amazing things you're putting out there and all the amazing people you're helping?
1: The legacy I want to lead leave is, I guess, like to lead and leave, <laughs> is that we can really have the lives that we want, that sometimes we're afraid to ask for, that you can have that work-life balance. You can have happy family relationships and friendships. And you can also be effective at your job. I I have to say, people ask me all the time, you know, can you have it all? And my response is yes, but you're never going to have it all at once. (laughs) And so you're going to have times where you're like, family, it's all about family and times where it's all about work or times where it's all about your, you know, the marathon you're training for. And that's totally okay but, you know, work especially, that's where we spend a third of our lives. And actually, when you look at waking hours, the majority of our waking hours, even more than the time that we spend with family. And I, my heart broke recently when a friend of mine was talking about her husband and how miserable he was at work. And then my friend shrugged her shoulders. She goes, well, but I guess everyone hates their job, Right. I was like, oh my gosh, no. And I want people to know like you don't have to settle for that. You can be happy at work. And I'm not saying that in a Pollyanna way. I'm saying that that it's might not it might take you a couple years to get there. And it's gonna take hard work to get there, but you absolutely can have that. And once you're happy at work, it's amazing to see all the different ways this falls into place. And when I know for me, like again, but going back to me being a workaholic and working all the time. It wasn't until I told you about the 18-month mark of being an entrepreneur, I finally started setting some good boundaries and realizing I couldn't be just working myself to death building a business. And wouldn't you know, I met my husband (laughs) at about the 20th month, 21st month, and got married in my early 40s and then had little kids. And now I say all the time, like, this is why you have kids when you're younger, because boy, they (laughs) are keeping up with them. It's pretty crazy. But I don't think it's an accident that I didn't, I literally had to make room in my life for falling in love and having that relationship. So I think there are things I could have learned earlier in my life, but my journey is my journey. And I've loved, and I've loved my journey. No regrets.
0: That's incredible. And obviously you're on on the path and on your journey to help impact others doing the same. What would be the audience? What would be a great opportunity for the audience to connect with you, reach out to you, find you, find more content? What's the best way overall for them to see more about you, Jennifer?
1: Uh, The best way to see more about me is probably my website. Go to ambitionleadership.com. And you'll see articles that I have written. I've got some videos about what coaching's about, a little bit about me and other coaches in my cadre that people might want to learn more about. So ambitionleadership.com, I'd love to have people check that out.
0: Awesome. I absolutely love it. And I definitely encourage everybody head over there, check out more about Jennifer. And of course, come back this Friday. We're going to dissect this a little bit more on Tactical Friday and break apart what it looks like to be an ambitious leader. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.